Welcome to week number three in our series on the book of James, and uh, we've made it up to James chapter two as we're working our way through the book of James, and we're calling this a blueprint for making faith work. And uh, we looked at in chapter one, a couple of big uh, sections really in chapter one, we talked about trials and temptations and how to respond to those two things and the difference between the two. And and then last week we talked about the importance of not just hearing God's word, but actually doing it uh, in, in terms of listening and then living out God's Word. Now we want to just pick up in James chapter 2, and we're going to be reading through, uh, looking at really verses 1 through about 13 uh, tonight. But as we start that off, let me just ask a couple of questions. Um, How many of you uh, had like a favorite aunt or uncle? Anyone have a favorite aunt or uncle? Okay. What about, uh, let me think, what else? Favorite pet? You had a favorite pet? Okay. Uh, how, How many of you parents have a favorite child? Okay, uh, a couple. There, there we go. Uh, we have favorites of everything. Like, like right now, just, just imagine uh, if you're a sports fan, what's your favorite team to root for? Your favorite team to root for. I don't mean, I, I mean of, of all of them, the other teams that you root for, they could lose, but your absolute favorite team. I, I'm not going to tell you what my favorite team to root for is, okay? I'm not going to tell you that at all, but, but we all have favorites. And, oh, look at that, the Georgia Bulldogs. There they are right there, the Georgia Bulldogs. How about this? Think about this. We're talking about favorites. Favorite food. What's your favorite food? Like if you were on a deserted island and you only had one thing to eat, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and snack, what would that be? What's your favorite food? I'm not going to tell you what my favorite food is, but, but anyway, you can answer that yourself, what your favorite food uh, might be, okay? Uh, and, and then how about this? What's your favorite rock band? If you just had to pick one, who would your favorite rock band be? I'm not going to tell you what my favorite rock band would be, but, but it goes way back to the 80s. Oh, look, you too. That's Joshua Tree there, I believe, there. Uh, so anyway, we all have favorites, don't we? And, and that's what's amazing as we talk about favorites is this. Did you know that God said some pretty amazing stuff in James chapter 2 about favoritism? It's really quite shocking. And so that's where we want to begin in James chapter 2. Let's begin in verse 1, okay? As we're talking about favoritism here, uh, James chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And it says, My brothers and sisters, believers in all our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, must not show favoritism. Whoa. How about that? I don't think they're talking about sports teams. I don't think they're talking about something like that. But, but, but listen to this. My brothers and sisters, James is saying, believers, in other words, followers of Jesus Christ, those that follow in the glorious Lord Jesus Christ, must not show favoritism. I don't know if we've even thought about this before. But what we're, we're going to learn in James chapter 2 is this. Favoritism is lethal in the life of a Christian. In fact, favoritism will destroy a church. In fact, we're going to find in the book of James, favoritism is put on the same level as adultery and murder. And it's so socially acceptable to us as Christians. And this is one of the things that I love about James. Uh, the, the book of James, it just punches you right in the mouth. It really does. And it's like, boom. 
Because all these things that we like to kind of smooth over, oh, no big deal. James says, when it comes to favoritism, we must not show any favoritism. And so what I want to do is really first define favoritism, and then we're going to go back and we're going to read the first 11 verses in the book of James. And it's amazing how James just expounds upon this idea so that we're really clear how bad and how wrong favoritism is for a Christian. And I'm not talking about your favorite food, or I'm not talking about your favorite uh, uh, rock group, you know, or, or your favorite team to root for, but when we show favoritism to other people, something terribly, terribly wrong with that. And so this is the, this word favoritism here, if we show, the, the definition of favoritism, this is a Greek word, and this is what it actually means. Favoritism, to make unjust distinctions between people by treating one person better than another. Favoritism is a form of prejudice, and favoritism is a form of discrimination. Socially acceptable, but completely rejected by God. Let me say that again. Favoritism is a form of discrimination and prejudice that that we just, "Eh, no big deal, And God says, it's a real big deal to me. So much so that the Holy Spirit inspired James, the writer of the book of James, the half-brother of Jesus. And and for about 13 verses here in chapter 2, he talks about how lethal favoritism is. So so let's look at it again, beginning in verse 1. He says, my brothers and sisters, believers, he's talking to Christians, he's not expecting those that don't know Christ to to not show favoritism, but for believers in our Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. He goes on and says, so that's the big idea. Must not show favoritism. Now everything else is gonna be really illustrating that point. Suppose a man comes into your meeting, talking about a gathering like this, wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy clothes also comes in. He goes on and he says, If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, goes on, have you not, there it is, discriminated? Have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? The Bible says, Favoritism comes from evil thoughts. It's evil inside the heart of a person to show favoritism to someone else. And, and, and the illustration he's using is in a church gathering, a rich person comes in and a poor person comes in. One of the things I love about Valley Christian Church is our casual attire. Because it's hard to tell any difference between the haves and the have-nots, and we have all kinds of people. But I, I can remember when it wasn't that way in our church. I, I remember when it was like, you better, as a man, you better suit up. Not, I mean, don't, don't be coming up here with no golf shirt on and sport coat, because I'm not sure you know Jesus. And, and, and we would totally judge people by the, way, by the clothes that they wore. And, and, and that's one of the reasons why, and there's reasons why, there's why behind everything we do, that we just, let's, let's just come as we are. Because it shouldn't point out whether someone has church clothes or not. And we say, oh, you're welcome to come as you are. No, no problem like that. But if you did come in jeans and a t-shirt and everyone else is in suit, you know what? 
you would be clearly feeling like, I don't belong here. Right? From the pages of Scripture. And we discriminate because we'd be judging by the outward appearance. Favoritism is a form of discrimination. And he goes on, he says, listen, my dear brothers and sisters. So again, he's saying, do I have your attention? As believers, as followers of Christ, are you listening to me? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? Do you know those that don't have much oftentimes have stronger faith in God because they literally need God to provide for them every single day? Those that have much, it's a little bit harder to say, man, God, I need you today because I've got food on the table. I'm healthy. I've got two cars in the drive. One of the things that always just challenges me so much, uh, when, when my wife and I and my family, we travel over to Eastern Europe, the folks have nothing. I mean, just, just nothing. But they have incredibly strong faith. Incredibly strong faith. And James is making this point. And he goes on and he says, but you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? At the writing in the book of James, it was the rich that were taking advantage of the poor. It was the rich that were persecuting the Christian church. Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? And yet you're treating them preferentially. You're treating them with favoritism. And you're dishonoring the poor. It goes on the next verse. If you really keep, watch this now, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, and what's the royal, royal law? We call it the golden rule, don't we? Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the royal law of Scripture. Treat every person the way you want to be treated. If you really keep the royal law, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. But if you show favoritism, now this just makes it pretty clear, watch this now. If you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Simply by showing favoritism. And as if that wasn't clear enough, that James makes it very clear, favoritism is sin. Now watch where he goes with this. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. You say, well, I'm a good person. Have you ever shown favoritism to anyone? If, if, if you've ever shown, I have. If you've ever shown favoritism to anyone, God says, you broke all the law. All of my holy law, you've broken every one. You break one, you break them all. And then he goes on and he says, next verse, for he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery but you commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. The point there is this. He says, favoritism is a sin. If we show favoritism, we break the law, the whole law. It's just like saying, well, I haven't committed adultery but I've murdered someone. Or I haven't murdered someone, but I committed adultery. It, you're guilty of all of it. And, and so James here is making an incredibly strong case here that favoritism in the eyes of God 
is not acceptable under any circumstances. Why is favoritism so wrong? Why is it wrong to show favoritism? Well, let me just kind of break this down or, 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 or give you kind of some summaries uh, of what we just read there, verses one through 11 of James chapter two. Because I think like me, as I was beginning to study this, I think I've probably got your attention because this is just like one of those, it just, it just felt like I'm reading James chapter two and it's like God just grabs me by the shirt and says, are you listening? Don't, don't say something's okay when, when I say, is, this is not okay. This is sin, this is wrong. Why is it wrong to show favoritism? Well, first of all, it's inconsistent with Christ's teachings. It's inconsistent with Christ's teachings. Jesus made it clear that we're supposed to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourself. There's no room for favoritism in that equation. So it's inconsistent with Christ's teachings. The second thing is this, real clear from James chapter two that we just read, it results from evil thoughts. Favoritism comes from evil inside. Favoritism is a form of judgmentalism. It's being judgmental when we show favoritism. We say, you're in, you're not. We judge people. It's a form of prejudice. It's, it's a form as well of discrimination and it's judgmental. If, if you've ever been the one who wasn't the favorite one, you know how you felt. You felt judged. Boy, sure would be nice to be that guy. Sure would be nice to be teacher's pet, coach's favorite, boss's favorite. Favoritism. And so it results from evil thoughts. Next thing is this, it insults people made in God's image. It insults people made in God's image to say, or to even treat someone else, you're better than you are. That's an insult to God. Because every one of us was made in his image. And when we treat people differently, now that doesn't mean relationally, obviously we're closer to some people than we are others. But favoritism says, not only am I closer, but I'm going to ignore you and mistreat you and I'm gonna show you special privileges. I'm gonna be kind and compassionate and concerned about you, but you, I don't care. You're not worth it to me. And so it insults people made in God's image. Here's the next one. It's a byproduct of selfish motives. Because let's be honest, when we've shown favoritism to someone, generally isn't it because of something we get out of it? Because they like us, they make me feel good. I like the way you treat me. And so we give them special opportunities that we don't allow to other people, maybe even in our own life, in relationship. How about this one? It goes against the biblical definition of love. Listen, if love is unconditional, that means there is no favoritism. If love is truly unconditional, love is not based on how you treat me or how you don't or how you respond to me or how you don't. Love's unconditional. There are no favorites. Here's another one, and isn't this the knock that we so often get as Christians? It's hypocritical. 
It's hypocritical to say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ who loved me unconditional, but I don't have time for you because I really don't like you that much. It's hypocritical. That's not the way God did us. But we think it's okay to do other people that way, to treat other people that way. And, and then just boiling it right down, what James says here in chapter two, it's sin. Favoritism is sin. This isn't some little thing. Again, James puts it on the level of you break the law at one point, you break all the law. You, you, you murder, but you say, I didn't commit adultery, or you commit adultery, you say, I didn't murder. It's just like you did it all. Consequences are the same. Favoritism, it's sin. It's not a little thing to God at all. And so in our time together, as we're thinking about this, maybe seeing things that we thought were okay that we allowed in our life, I want to share four ways to flip favoritism. Four ways that we can flip favoritism. In other words, get it right. Turn it topside down. Begin to grow and really demonstrate unconditional love uh, to those around us that maybe even are unlovable. In fact, that's what Jesus said, right? He said, if you love those who love you, what good is that? He, he, he said, even the wicked love those who love them. But I say, love your enemies. Turning it topside down. Four ways that we can flip favoritism. Here's the first one. We need to start valuing people. Value people. Place a high value on people. Every single person that you and I ever make eye contact with. Value them. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, puts it this way. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Sound familiar, doesn't it, when Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. Value other people the same way that you yourself want to be valued. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Interesting story in the Old Testament in 1 Samuel, uh, in chapter 16, when God was, was really instructing, and uh, I won't take the time to tell the story, but uh, told the prophet Samuel to anoint the king over Israel. This is what he said. 1 Samuel 16, 7, it says, the Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at outward appearance, watch this now, but the Lord looks at the heart. People look at outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. That's God's perspective, and he doesn't show favorites. He doesn't show favorites. Uh, let me see if I can illustrate this for a minute. This doesn't normally happen, but I actually uh, got a hold of a $100 bill. Look at that. Let me, let me ask you a question. This is real, and, and no, I'm not giving it away. Uh, <laughs> let me ask you a question. What's the value of this? It's $100, isn't it? Now, now listen, I, I don't know where this was printed, I don't know if maybe this was used to pay for a prostitute. 
Maybe this was rolled up to snort cocaine. I don't know, maybe this was used to feed the poor. Uh, maybe, this was, maybe this was used to buy clothes for, for someone who didn't even have a change of clothes. I don't know where this has been, what this has gone through, but do you know what? It's still valued at $100. The same thing for you and me. But, but what happens? We don't look at the heart. We look at the outward appearance. You did what? You were where? You were hanging out with who? And, and we say, you're not worth $100 anymore. You're only worth 12 That's not the way God sees it. Every human being is made in the image of God. That value doesn't change. It doesn't matter how broken. It, it doesn't know, matter how wicked. It doesn't matter how much stuff we've done or how much stuff has been done to us. It's still $100. And, and, and so we need to begin to value people, to see people the way that God does. That, that, that person that we're writing off, that we're saying, no, you don't cut it. I don't, spend, I, I don't have time for you. Jesus died for them. God ransomed heaven for that person that you're locking eyes with. We need to value people. Just like that $100 bill, it doesn't matter how it's been used, it's still $100. Here's the second thing, we need to accept people. We need to really begin to accept people just the way they are. Romans chapter 15, verse 7 puts it this way. <laughs> Accept one another then, watch this now, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Jesus didn't wait for Greg to clean up his act. Jesus didn't wait for you to get your stuff together and become really clean and righteous and holy. He said, come as you are. And again, accept one another just as Christ accepted you. That's what God desires of, from us. That, that just in the way that Jesus Christ said, come as you are, that's the way that we should accept one another. As I like to say, you know, we, the one rule here at Valley Christian Church, no perfect people allowed. We all have stuff, every one of us. And we are called to live this out Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. We all have stuff, and we all need a Savior who can change us and transform us. So we need to learn how to accept one another. Now, if that wasn't clear enough, how about this? This is a, here's your Bible memory verse for this week. You ready for it? See if you can do this. Romans 2.11, for God does not show favoritism. Okay, that's it right there. Seems pretty clear. Any confusion? Is there anything that's, just, that's vague or ambiguous about this? Listen, it's going to mess you up because reading the Bible will do that. That means he doesn't show favoritism between the haves and the have-nots. He doesn't have a favorite people group. He, he doesn't have certain people that he likes, certain people he doesn't. 
This is all encompassing. God does not show favoritism. He has no favorites. And we're supposed to be becoming more like him all the time. God does not show favoritism. You've got to really explain this verse around. You've got to really twist this verse if you start treating people differently for any reason. That, that's pretty clear, pretty clean, pretty easy. You can check that in all different translations too. It means the exact same thing. God doesn't do it. Particularly what's interesting, the context of Romans 2, you can read it, is Gentiles and Jews. And he says there are no favorites, no favorite people. How about that? God does not show favoritism. And so we need to begin to accept people just as they are. Here's the third thing that we need to do to flip favoritism. Forgive people. We've got to forgive. See, what is it? Most of the time when we struggle with forgiveness, what does it boil down to? I don't think they deserve it. Man, I'm glad God didn't do me like that. I didn't deserve to be forgiven by Christ. I didn't deserve for Jesus to die in my place. But God demonstrate his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's what the scripture says. Forgive one another. Now watch this, what Jesus said. We've, we've talked about this. Matthew 6, 14, Jesus put it this way. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. You decide. Which is it going to be? That's, that's Jesus. This is red letter stuff. Words of Jesus. We need to begin to forgive. We need to value other people. We need to accept other people. We need to forgive other people. And here's, here's the fourth way that we flip favoritism. We turn it upside down. We need to start getting close to people. it's amazing how we judge someone until we get to know them. See, we presume we know why they did what they did. We always judge ourselves based on our intentions, and we judge everyone else based on their actions. What hypocrisy. Well, I didn't intend to. Yeah, but, <laughs> but you did. And we judge everyone else based on their actions, but for us, we always give ourselves, we cut ourselves slack based on what we intended. Get close to people. Now, I want to read another verse that, that uh, is found in Luke chapter 6, and, and it's pretty interesting. You may have heard this verse if you've been in church for any amount of time, uh, maybe not here, but other churches, and it's generally used right before the offering, and it has nothing to do with money. But, but I want to read it first, and then I'm going to go up and give you the context of what it's actually talking about. Look at this. Luke chapter 6, verse 36. Jesus put it this way. Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full. Hallelujah. Write the check. Press down, shaken together. I'm sure. Press down, shaken together to make room for more. Running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Now let's have the offering. But this isn't talking about money. What is this talking about? The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. 
Let's just jump up now to verse 36 and read it in context. You must be compassionate just as your Father is compassionate. Do not judge others and you'll not be judged. Do not condemn others or it will all come back against you. Same thought continuing. Forgive others and you will be forgiven. Next verse, same thought, same idea. If we go on to the next one, then we see give and you will receive. Give what? Forgiveness. It's not talking about money. It's talking about forgiveness. Give forgiveness and you will receive Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount, the amount of what? Forgiveness, compassion that you give will determine the amount you get back. The scripture, Bible calls this sowing and reaping. Over and over again, we find throughout the scripture, sowing and reaping, sowing and reaping. Whatever we sow, we reap. Now here's the thing. If, if I go into the, my backyard and I plant squash seeds in my backyard, you know what, here's the thing. I can go into my house and I'll say, oh God, forgive me for planting those squash seeds. I just pray you turn those into corn. God, just please let, let, let them come up corn. I know that squash was what I did, but I just pray that you'll make that corn. Guess what's going to come up? Squash. And not just one seed, a whole lot of squash. That's sowing and reaping. And Jesus is talking about it in the context of forgiveness. See, the whole thing about forgiveness is forgiveness changes us, not the person. It doesn't mean it's okay what they did. What it means is this. I'm not holding that against you anymore because God didn't hold my stuff against me. And the more you give, the more you get in return. Forgiveness. Sowing and reaping. Other religions, falsely, call this karma. Karma is you get what you deserve. Christianity is Jesus got what I deserved. That's what makes Christian diff- Christianity different from everything else. Grace. I didn't get what I deserved. Jesus got what I deserved. I got what he deserved. Forgiveness, as if I've never sinned. Justified. Because of Jesus... When we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we do not get what we deserve. He got what I deserve. He got what you deserve. Start off by talking about one of my favorite bands, U2. I don't know how many of you like U2. You ought to. <laughs> but anyway, I'm judging you. So... Uh, but, 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 but listen to what, I, I just wanted to share this with you. Well, that great theologian Bono, listen to what he said. <laughs> Lead singer of U2 about the difference between grace and karma. Bono put it this way. You see, 
At the center of all religions is the idea of karma. You know what you put out is what comes back to you, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, or in physics and physical law, every action is met with an equal or an opposite one. It's clear to me that karma is at the very heart of the universe. I'm absolutely sure of it, and yet, along comes this idea called grace. To upend all of that, as you reap, sow, you will sow stuff. Grace defies reason and logic. Love interrupts, if you like, the consequences of your actions, which in my case is very good news indeed because I've done a lot of stupid stuff. Bono gets it. You should read some more of what he has to say about Jesus being the Messiah. He gets it. He gets it a lot better than most of us do. We have to understand what Christ did for us when God sent him to live a perfect life and to take what we deserve because of our sins, that he paid that price. And that helps us to get close to people instead of showing favorites and judging them and keeping them at arm's distance. Well, there's one more thing before we close tonight because I haven't really finished this whole passage. I didn't read two verses that are still in this same passage of James chapter 2, and that's verse 12 and 13. And remember the context about favoritism or not showing favoritism. Look at the next verse in James chapter 2, verse 12. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone, uh, judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. And listen to this statement now. It's in the context of showing favoritism and Christians should not show favoritism to anyone. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What a beautiful statement that is. Mercy triumphs over judgment. You know what? Next slide there. That's what the cross is all about. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Jesus put it this way. Blessed are the merciful. They'll be shown mercy. I don't know about you, but God has shown me mercy. God's not holding my sins against me because I recognize what Christ did for me on the cross. He took what I deserved. And God gave me mercy instead. And so you know what? When I, when I get all uptight, when I feel like somebody's done me wrong, treated me in a way that I didn't deserve, that's just Greg comparing myself and judging other people. But when I think about the mercy that God showed me, that while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me, it reminds me, mercy triumphs over judgment. And that's the summary statement that we need to remember from, Rome, um, from James chapter 2, 
verses 1 through 13. No more favoritism. We're all equal in the eyes of God, made in His image. Let us show mercy to others, just as God has shown mercy to us. I'm going to ask, would you bow your heads with me right now? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, sometimes when we dare to compare and we judge ourselves and we judge others, we really don't have the right perspective on what truly you desire for us and expect from us. Lord, I know myself included that too many times I've shown favoritism to other people and Lord yet we look in the mirror of your word and we recognize that's not the way that we should conduct our lives or treat people and so Father we ask you to forgive us forgive us and and Lord help us to remember the mercy that you showed to us the grace that you poured out on us that Jesus took what we deserved and that's what grace is all about. And Lord, that mercy would always, always triumph over judgment and we would be merciful to others because you have shown us your great mercy through sending your son Jesus to do for us what we could never do for ourselves, to take what we deserved that we would be given grace and mercy and forgiveness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.